fans assemble. Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, and Tom Hiddleston are coming to Ace Comic Con at the Wamu Theater in CenturyLink Field Events Center June 22nd through 24th. Visit 150 comic writers, artists, and vendors with 30 hours of programming. Tickets available at acecomiccon.com. Han Solo. Han Solo. Han Solo. Han Solo. Hi. Han Solo. Han. Han Solo. Han. Han Solo. Solo. Han Solo. Come on, Han, old buddy, don't let me down. Han Solo. Han Solo. Han Solo. Han Solo. Captain William Falk. Han Solo. Han Solo really had his hands full. Han Solo. Han Solo is back. Han Solo. fans and milkers everywhere welcome to episode number 125 of blast points this is jason and it's gabe and this is it we're talking about kylo ren's dad the motion picture (laughs) it's out it's now playing in theaters we've both seen it as of recording this i have seen it three times how many times have you seen it gabe i have only got to see it two times so far so i'm a little a little off. <laughs> it take it always takes me like three times to get a good to get a good feel. So everything I say today could change by next week. The movie's only been out for a day. You've only seen it two times. I don't, <laughs> I'm slacking. It's this Memorial Day weekend throwing off my uh, my Star Wars game here. What Gabe? What is your as of two viewings? What, what's your what's your what's your feeling on this movie? How are you feeling on it? I didn't immediately love it. I enjoyed it, but I don't know. I'm still getting, I'm still coming to terms with this one because I think if I think of any individual part of the movie, there's tons of parts that I really like and were awesome. But then as the, all those parts together as a movie, I don't know if it really did it for me or not. So we'll see. Do you feel like it was like disjointed for you? The more I think about it, I think it's this is the most different. It's not really the most un-Star Wars-y Star Wars movie, but it's definitely the most, it feels a lot different. Even though it's jam-packed with Star Wars stuff, 
just the structure of the movie and it definitely it feels like a different thing to me. And I don't know if that's good or bad, if that makes sense. I I kept thinking, I think it was during my second time viewing it. I was thinking something like that where I was like, wow, yeah, this is like not structured the way we're used to Star Wars movies being structured, where we go to this planet and we stay there for a while. And then we go to that planet for the middle act and we stay there for a while. And then in the end, we're at this planet. I felt like Solo was almost structured like you could take Solo and separate it into four parts of like Han Solo adventure serials. Like, will Han Solo survive this test in the mall? <laughs> yeah, it's like four episodes of the Han Solo TV show or something. It's like going back to the old like adventure serials. But then also it's very much like another Larry Kasdan written Lucasfilm production, Where's the Lost Ark? Where that movie was very much like Indiana Jones goes there and then he goes here and then he goes there and now he's doing this. And every time, you know, you're like, wow, this is like a gigantic action set piece like the truck chase and Raiders. This must be the end of the movie. No, we've got a lot more things to do after that. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about the Raiders thing because it is very and maybe some of it, too, is coming so close to Last Jedi. I still have Last Jedi on the brain. But I'm trying to think other than the original. Well, no, not even in the original. There was always cutting back and forth to like, hey, here's what the Imperials are doing. Here, let's go see what the heroes are doing. Let's go see what this other person was doing. And with Solo, it's pretty much you're on Han the whole movie. It never like really cuts away to anyone else other than there's like there's the shot of uh, Weasel talking to Enfys Nest when they put the homing beacon on, <laughs> <laughs> which is some good stuff. But it's like it's very it's like a very linear movie in the story and the way it's edited that it just kind of like goes in order and it's never kind of jumping around. And I don't know. It just it felt very different to me, even more so than Rogue One. Well, in Rogue One you know, had that kind of traditional Star Wars ending where there was like, here's what Jin and Cassian are doing and what's Baze and Cheerit up to. And, you know, and it kind of built up to the big finale where I think what you were saying about the adventures of Han Solo, like it did kind of feel like each section kind of had a built up and had its little climax and then went to the next thing, but strung together as a whole movie. It didn't feel like it was like building up to the big finale. And then, then it was done. It was like this thing happened. Then that thing happened. Then that thing happened. Then eventually it just stopped. Things stopped happening and it was over. Rares the Lost Ark is a classic, but sometimes when I watch Rares the Lost Ark now, I, I still think, I think that same thing. Like by the time you finally get to them opening the arc and things go buck wild, you're already exhausted. You've watched like 20 movies in the space of two hours. And I don't know, like, I, th I think if like, if any movie you can compare the structure of Solo to, I think it's Raiders. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I need to go back and watch Raiders again now. Maybe watch them the same day, see how that goes. Because I think the, the thing that maybe will will grow on me with time, too, is like there's so much stuff packed into this movie and there's so much stuff packed in that's cool, but none of that cool stuff gets, I think, enough time for me that as soon as I started to really, oh, this person, this new character is cool. Like, oh, now they're dead. Or, hey, this is cool. Oh, now we're on a, we left. You know, it's like you never get to spend enough time with any of this stuff. Still not 100% sure how I feel about this one. Last night, it ended 
for me. And I love The Last Jedi a lot. But I was like, man, it's so interesting just having seen Last Jedi in theater six months ago, where when Last Jedi ended, you felt like you kind of got tossed around a little bit, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> you just got out of like a college level exam or something. <laughs> but you did really yeah. good at that exam. Maybe some people didn't. But like, I was like, wow, oh, you, you mean you walked out of Last Jedi feeling exhausted? Yeah, you're drained. This one. I don't know. Last night I walked out and I was just like, let's go run around outside. Like, (laughs) let's go get ice cream. You know, like I left feeling great. I was like skipping down the road. I was like, you know, waving a flag in the air that said they had the solo logo on it. Like, I think I texted you immediately afterwards. Star Wars party, the motion picture. It's definitely there's a Star Wars party worth of stuff packed into there. Yeah. So we'll see. I think it's fun, too, because. With Star Wars and new Star Wars movies, it, it kind of takes me a while. I always kind of like have to warm up to them a little bit. And some might warm up faster than others. And I think you have the opposite reaction sometimes where you're like the adrenaline hits you and you're like in Star Wars heaven. But then a few times in sometimes like the adrenaline wears off. <laughs> like uh, I think Revenge of the Sith was that way with you. I went to an early screening of Revenge of the Sith. And Revenge of the Sith, I only saw in the theater five times, which is like shameful for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, I guess I don't know if I realized that. That that says enough, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that says a lot. Volumes. Yeah. But yeah, Sith, you know, on multiple viewings, I started getting grumpy. And, you know, that's what happened to a lot of people with Last Jedi, too. And that's perfectly valid. It happens. So that's I think I'm even kind of more fun with to see where, you know, you know few more showings in a few more weeks when we both kind of settle in kind of where the movie ends up being. That's true. I don't, my, my third viewing today, though, I was getting into it on a deeper level, which is kind of what happened to me with Last Jedi, where I was like, oh, that relates to Kylo Ren. I think I thought that about 44 times, even like, you know, like a pike comes out and I'm like, ooh, I bet you that pike wouldn't like Kylo Ren. His, his breathing apparatus looks like calligraphy set. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's, a, it's the thing that's driving me crazy is like I could if you just picked any part out of the movie and explained it to me and I explained it back, I'd be like, yeah, all that is awesome. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's just too it's overload for me or something. I got to got to absorb it. Let's go through the whole movie as we do for our big movie review episodes. Let's break it down bit by bit, scene by scene. Let's go through the whole thing and talk about what we loved, what we didn't love, what we got to talk about some more. The very beginning, right? The uh, continuing mystery now with these Star Wars stories, which it will probably continue to be because now they're doing it's been different for the for each one. It's like what's going to happen after... A long time ago, a galaxy far, far away. I actually, I don't know. I like the, uh, what is it? It was a lawless land. Right away, they're telling us about Lady Proxima, all in caps. I got to, I was thinking too, I wonder if, since this script goes back so far ago, I wonder if at one time there was a crawl. It almost reads like a crawl. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if 
they had written a crawl or started to write a crawl. But it was kind of cool because I think if anything, good or bad, this movie was like live action Rebels in a lot of ways, either movie or like you were saying, collection of episodes or something. Sticking with the blue font and doing the text was very kind of Clone Wars, which isn't really Rebels, but kind of gets it in that animated universe feel of instead of having the fortune cookie you know optimistic thing at the beginning or words of wisdom it was just post-apocalyptic corellia is basically everybody needs hyper fuel i'm fascinated by how so many people are saying well it started out kind of shaky i wasn't sure about the beginning to me this whole before the three years later thing that's like my favorite part of the whole movie all of that. Yeah, me too. And you know what's crazy? And I'm pretty sure that this is right. I think that whole part of the movie was still salvaged from the Lord and Miller stuff. Huh. Because that was all the stuff that we saw in the spy photos of all the car chase and everything. And Han is way kind of goofier. The young Han, he feels kind of like loose and goofy and improv more so maybe than he is later in the movie. So I could, what do I know? I could be wrong, but next time you watch it, it feels like, it feels different and it feels different in like a a looser kind of fun way. Like the whole, is the thermal detonator and making the clicking sound. And I love all the stuff with Han and Kira find each other. And for a minute, it looks like Dario Argento directed the movie and everything's all blue. And I love when they're riding in the car how cheesy Star Wars level cheesy their dialogue is. It's like Attack of the Clones. Like it's a, it's a movie from the old. This is where they talked in the old movies, old fashioned. Because it's like you know, it's like we're gonna get off this planet, you and me. Where are we gonna go? I don't know. To the stars, you know. Like I was just like, oh, oh hold on. We're making, you're doing Star Wars here. That's what this is. And, and they're doing that while being chased by a worm man in a, uh, <laughs> in a space pickup truck full of space dogs. I was just like, man, this is it. And that car chase, it was reminding me of like THX 1138. I was like, man, this is some, this is some Star Wars here. That's what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I liked the, his uh, sideways trick. <laughs> like that was just, you know, that was full on. That's goofy stuff. It's like, oh, don't worry. I'm just, I got a trick here. And I was getting excited, too. I'm like, man, are we making a shout out to Last Crusade? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I was I was just waiting for Moloch to uh, rip open his, his chest from the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword. Yeah, I know. That, that part of the movie, that is definitely, until three years later, is probably my favorite part of the movie. And Lady Proxima. Do we have time? Do we have an hour to talk about Lady Proxima? I feel like as soon as we saw that behind the scenes thing, we knew something special was going to happen. She just had an old lady voice. She's an old lady that's a worm. That's Linda Hunt as the voice of Lady Proxima. Mm-hmm. As soon as she starts leaning in close to Solo and she's like, remember when we found you in the dirt? <laughs> The- You're a dirt baby. <laughs> yeah. Don't waste don't waste your time on Sil and Han. I think that maybe that's maybe this was my problem with the movie is like every scene was a tease because she could have just been like instead of Dryden, it should have just been Lady Proxima the whole movie. It's like we gotta get the we gotta get some hyperfuel for Lady Proxima. 
Well, I guess she's not dead, so she could be back. So maybe my uh... she'll be back. She'll be back. Well, they they just unofficially, officially, unofficially announced like a Boba Fett movie. Yeah, yeah. right. Again, Bo- Boba Fett version two. So Lady Proxima is going to be back in the Boba Fett movie. We have not seen the last of Lady Proxima. Saw Guerrera knows Lady Proxima. You know he does. She calls him on his private line. They're they're tight. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> hello, lady. Hello. <laughs> you look beautiful today. Don't give me that crap, sir. Oh, uh, I'm ready. I uh, am. I wouldn't be surprised at this point either. No, all bets are off. <laughs> it's true. It's real. It's all gonna happen. So they get separated, yeah. So they do the the last crusade thing. Han and Kira get separated. They go to the the whole like the checkpoint thing. Moloch's rampaging around. Everybody with big beautiful hair gets wrapped, uh, rounded up. <laughs> hey, what did I do? Yeah. yeah. There's like, <laughs> did you see? There's like giant droids walking around in the background. Yeah, and what that was, I think the start of something that's kind of interesting in the whole movie is I. I mean, it's smart. They have all these things they made for all the other new movies. And I think some of those droids were just variations on the giant droids from Force Awakens and Rogue One. Some of the background things that kind of never ended up on camera. Because I think one of those giant ones walking around is really similar to the one outside of Maz's castle. Just painted differently. I saw that, too. It's like painted white or something. Mm-hmm. And in the um, it's actually I think it's kind of depressing, actually. If you look through uh, the official guide when you get yours, I know you're waiting for yours to show up. Yeah. They have a whole page on droids. There's like 20 incredible droids in there. And I think it's like uh, Canto Bite all over again where you maybe see three of them in the movie or you see them for like half a second. But There's just so many just amazing droids that they built for the movie. Well, as we keep going talking about this stuff there's a lot of leftover rogue one stuff coming up but i guess if we're making solo and then boba fett and whatever maybe they'll just keep using all that stuff because it's so cool and so han puts on a hat and he enlists in the imperial navy to be a pilot kira gets taken first and the movie gets really serious for a second and did you notice too when han is looking at that little like uh, join the empire and the the thing from rebels, the uppity version of uh, the imperial march plane. It looks like remember there was the rumors going around that one of Colin Cantwell's early Star Destroyer designs was going to show up. Oh yeah, that's it. It's in there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in there. I think I forgot who someone confirmed it on Twitter too. Like, they, hey, your ship's still in the movie it's in that scene but i that makes me wonder if some of that stuff was filmed for other parts of the movie that ended up just not getting used and they put it in that thing this whole part of the movie too and especially when they start with hans like when he's just infantry on mimbin i thought all that was fascinating too because i just love the idea of the early days of the empire and like that they're just going planet by planet and just conquering these planets Everyone's not a stormtrooper yet because they're transitioning between clones and stormtroopers and they just have like 
kind of people in prototype new stormtrooper kind of stuff with the gas masks and everything. Yeah. Again, that's like, I wish that was, that could have been a whole movie. There's like in all these scenes could have been almost like a whole movie. They could have made six Han Solo movies out of this movie. Cause just Han's adventures as an Imperial soldier would have been pretty cool. But even like when I was watching it last night, I was just like, man, Han being like an old TIE fighter pilot is like old, like headcanon that everyone has had since like, you know, the eighties. Like we've all just, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever hear the idea that Han used to fly TIE fighters and people like, Oh yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I heard that at school. (laughs) You're full of baloney. It never happened. I have a friend and his dad's George Lucas's neighbor. He said Han was a TIE fighter pilot. Han meets uh, Beckett and Val and Rio. I did like, uh, Human version of Rio was pretty good. I was kind of wondering how they did that because human version of Rio or Rio in Stormtrooper disguise had like no shoulders. Mm -hmm. And when he takes it off, you realize his head isn't even in the helmet. So I don't know how he he must add a little eye hole in the chest or something. So then Han is told to get given to the beast. Yes, the beast. Yeah, he gets tossed in the beast. What's the who? Who could the beast be? Where's the beast? We learn that the beast is Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. He's just hungry. And we know how Chewbacca gets when he's hungry. And I was just happy. I was like, man, it's another look for Chewbacca. It's a Chewbacca we have not seen before. It's muddy Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. And kind of like the wet dog look where you can see how skinny Chewbacca is. Because he's, remember, after Revenge of the Sith, we learned that he's kind of a, he's not a very big Wookiee, really. So he's looking all wet and skinny and muddy. Oh, Revenge of the Sith Chewbacca. It's the same Chewbacca. He's had a he's had a rough life. <laughs> Revenge of the Sith Chewbacca is like when you like find somebody's like senior photo <laughs> and you're like, "What? Look at you. He's young and wild, swinging through the trees. You want to look cool for Tarful, which I don't blame him. Maybe Tar- Tarful is uh Mala's dad. He had to look he had to be respectable." <laughs> so how was so as Chewbacca supporter, super fan for all these years. How was all that? Uh, the meeting of Han and Chewie, the Beast, all that stuff. How was that for you? Uh, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was all right. They met. Now they're friends. That's cool. I like the shower scene. That could have been like ten minutes longer. I really like too when they're um, right after the shower, like neck hair blowing Chewbacca. Oh, yeah. They freshly washed Chewbacca. Yeah. I was like, again, a new Chewbacca look. And I do, I do like that that's our first, the first of many Chewie's wrestling moves, basically. We realize Chewie's fighting style is he's a grappler and he knows all, he likes to do choke slams and things. So there's one thing Solo has by far the most Chewie action we've ever seen before. He didn't even do anything in Revenge of the Sith, did he? He just said goodbye to Yoda. <laughs> He did very little. He put Yoda on his back. He stood there. He crossed his arms. So it's the most action since Empire when he kind of threw a fit and pushed a couple stormtroopers. He did, a, you know, he, he was swinging through the trees with some Ewoks in Return of the Jedi. We didn't punch anybody. No, we should have, though. So not too long after that, there's the campfire scene. Yeah, it's where you kind of get to know Rio, you get to know Val. Basically, you get to 
learn to love all the characters who are going to immediately die the next scene. <laughs> well, yeah, I really like Han's face when Val and Beckett kiss. And I, I like that, too, that that's right around the same time when uh, Chewie says that he's looking for his tribe or his family. Yeah. I don't know. And I just got with, you know, with Han kind of wistfully looking at uh, them kissing and he's talking about Kira. That was the thing I was thinking about this morning where I was just like, man, and like Han saying how he has no people, how the whole movie like Han is just kind of like what he's really looking for is kind of like a family. The one thing he never had a place to belong, like a group to be with. Yeah. And then I started thinking, oh, you know, it's really neat how it like ties into the original trilogy and how that's kind of like Han's arc and where he kind of finds a family. But then I was like, oh, man, but then Han's son kills him, (laughs) (laughs) stabs him in the gut with a lightsaber, (laughs) man. But then it's also Beckett, like, you know, assume everyone will betray you. Don't trust anyone. Yeah. Not even your son. But yeah, I I was just really thinking about that this morning. And I was like, huh. That's kind of awesome and really kind of sad. That's the other thing with them kissing. This is movie has the most kissing of any Star Wars movie probably ever will. This is like Star Wars, the kissing movie, which is funny. It's almost like Larry Kasdan was like, he really wanted to get more kissing in Empire and Lucas wouldn't let him. And, and Irving Kircher were like, no, no, one kiss is plenty. And he's like, oh, I was trying to get some kisses in Star Wars all these years. I hope at the premiere, Larry Kasdan leaned down the aisle. This making you mad, George? Look at all that kissing. Lucas is sleeping. It's <laughs> yeah. a sign paper clipped to his shirt, his blue plaid shirt. Poke me when the frog guy comes on. Yeah. <laughs> so after that uh, really nice little campfire scene, then we jump right into the train heist, the crazy train. How did you feel about the train heist? I like the train heist. I just wish it was longer. I, I could have dealt with the whole train heist being four hours long. Yeah, I've, I'm the 40 minute pod race guy. So <laughs> when the train, the train heist was great, but it was, it was like, it's it too, it's too short. Cause man, when Emphis Nest shows up, Woo. all the, yeah, just close ups of people on swoop bikes flying around. The uh, range troopers were awesome. I could have watched them fight them for 20 minutes. I could have watched a whole movie just about the Viper droids, what they do in a day, what their daily routine is like. Yeah, they get up, they they drink some droid breakfast, they fly around in their little office. They probably play cards with all those little arms just waiting for the alarm to go off. <laughs> and it's like there's their big day, somebody's trying to steal part of a train, and they're all like sneaking each other up. Here we go. They're using all their arms to high-five each other all at the same time. Spinning in circle, slapping hands. Enfys Nest and the crew, the Cloud Riders gang, riding in on swoop bikes. Oh, it's the stuff of dreams. Yeah, they're the, the true stars of the movie. They have their theme is the best. <laughs> yeah. this crazy choir music kicks in, but then Val blows up and Rio gets really sad. I don't want to die alone. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm just going to rest my eyes. I think that that was the thing I think happens multiple times in the movie. That's a little weird to me, though. It's like the movie's just kind of having fun and being goofy. And then somebody dies, but they die in like this overly dramatic, like 
extra depressing way where it's like it was sad enough that Rio got shot and he was going to die, but he has to take a second to tell Han it's no fun to die alone. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just learned to love you and now I have to watch you die with do you say something sad. But, you know, that's kind of Star Wars, though. Maybe. <laughs> ben didn't say, Luke, I don't want to die alone. And then he went and Vader. Going from goofy to Dudley serious. Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's true. But I hear you. I hear. I mean, I didn't want Rio to die. No, nobody would. And Val was sad to see Val go. Yeah. She was cooler than Beckett. She was, yeah. But yeah, Enfys doesn't mess around. She jumps down, blocking lasers with her iron feathers and just cutting stuff with her viral blade or whatever they call those now. She cuts Beckett's like blaster rifle thing. She's cutting cords. She came out of the screen. She cut my seat in half. She chased me out of the theater. I got in my car and she cut my tires. She got in the editing room and she cut that scene down. So I'm cutting the scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I cannot wait for Celebration Chicago. I want 20 Enfys nests walking around. I want to be like, I want to see like a big group photo of all the Enfys nests that are there. I want somebody to be like going down Michigan Avenue, riding on a swoop bike on like the back of a truck or something. And they don't have a nest is the best shirt yet. <laughs> I won't rest till I get more Enfys nest. Enfys nest fest. Let's go to that. So they cut some cables. Han decides he doesn't want everybody to die, so he just lets it go. Chewie hugs Beckett. They fly away. And Fisness realizes they can't carry that big old heavy thing without Han's ship. They drop it. Blows up. Seismic charge, almost mountain explosion. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if they were trying to imply that this, like, the seismic charges have something to do with that fuel. Because it was almost like the Attack of the Clones explosion. That could be us just trying to see Attack of the Clones and things where it doesn't exist. That was that was the most Attack of the Clones scene in the movie. So maybe. So then um, they decide that they got to face the music, admit that they screwed up and they lost the fuel, the hyperfuel, and they got to go to Dryden Voss's traveling yacht, which just happens to be on the planet that they're going past the planet that they're standing on. Which, for a minute, I was kind of like, oh. Oh, but then I was like, oh, well, it's Star Wars, you know? I mean, technically, he was supposed to come get the stuff from them, so it kind of makes sense how he keeps showing up. But again, that's, I think, kind of the thing that's very different than what we're used to in a Star Wars movie is we never, like, cut back to what Dryden's doing. And his little dogman guards, I could have watched them for an hour or two, just talking to each other with, with their wonderful dogman voices. You gotta check your weapons. <laughs> I loved Voss because I feel like he's like, I feel like when Han and Chewie are in his office, they're eating crab legs. And later in the movie, he's eating some kind of like crazy, like caviar sushi thing. Yeah. And it's caviar sushi from, from the sea monster and Phantom Menace, isn't it? Is it? Colo clawfish. Which is the thing that has all the babies. Yeah, so he's eating colo clawfish eggs. I like him already. I was like, this guy's into seafood. 
he's just hanging out. He he's obviously a huge Indiana Jones fan, which I'm into because he had the the idol, yeah, from Raiders, and he has a crystal skull, not the crystal skull, but a crystal skull. Do you think? Because there's the Han Solo novel that the Crystal Skull is from, that Lucas read that novel and that was always in the back of his mind. Another reason to have a Crystal Skull in Indy. Like there's definitely the Crystal Skulls are like are a thing, but because in Lucas's mind, I'm sure it's all the same universe, right? So I just like to think, too, that in the shared Star Wars and Indiana Jones universe, there are many beings that have crystal skeletons. That's just a thing that happens. And I'm just, I'm making this up, you know, going with it. And I'm, <laughs> I'm digging it a lot because I'm still swearing that what's her name from rebels is Stalin's fair hair girl, Irina Spalko. And that would also mean that Mac from crystal skull is still wandering around somewhere in the star Wars universe. Cause he got sucked up too. And nobody ever talks about that. What's even crazier, uh, actually, I was talking with uh, our friend Lou today about this. If they do keep doing this, like the shared solo universe, the timeline would work for Thrawn to show up, right? And if Thrawn shows up, then they can just cast Kane Blanchett to play Governor Price and completely blow up everybody's minds. I wouldn't be surprised. I At this point, why wouldn't they? <laughs> they already have, the, they could just use the uniform they already have. It's basically the same thing. Yeah, just throw a little some pens on the chest. Just put a couple some sharpies. It's close enough. It sounds crazy, but it'll probably happen. <laughs> it you know it's just as crazy as if ten years ago if somebody told you in 2018 they're going to be talking about Aurora Singh in a new Star Wars movie. You know uh, that bartender from Cheers? He killed Aurora Singh. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm a smart person, and therefore I'm not believing anything you say. Be like the the grandma in Weird Science. We don't stand for baloney. He won't shoot up. He doesn't stand for baloney. <laughs> <laughs> Something else going on at Dryden Voss, who I keep wanna, wanting to call Quinlan Voss, but it's not the same person. Dryden Voss's cool party yacht, Frogman. I will say that maybe the movie didn't live up to my expectations, but Frogman exceeded them in every way. Oh, Frogman. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat because... She was singing. We knew she was going to sing, but it, the jury was still out of, on Frogman. She sang her line, and then his little his little round thing lit up. That it, yeah, that part that might be my favorite in in universe band scene now. Ooh, Frogman! Wow, it might be. It might be. We'll see. But I don't understand it. You heard this today too, right? On the soundtrack. Frogman's voice is different, and he has a high-pitched voice, not a deep, very white, low voice. And I don't understand it. Was it too much, you know, where they like, we can't, maybe they tried to get it recorded, and it was so special, that's just the way it turned out. 
<laughs> it only works when you see it. When you hear it, it sounds high pitched, but when you see it, it sounds low pitched. Yes. Frogman. I'm waiting for the sideshow 12 inch version of him. A tiny little one you could wear around your neck in like a little 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 jar. <laughs> Instead of hanging having dice to hang from my rearview mirror, I want a little frogman that I can hang. <laughs> when you start up the car, the little circle lights up. Here we go. Where are we going? <laughs> yeah. Driving to the store. Groceries. I love you, Frogman. <laughs> we get to see Chewie eat again. Yes. And drink. And just a, that quick little shot of him with like pudding on his face. That could be another another Chewbacca look. The... Uh, Pudding mustache, or actually pudding beard. There's a lot of good, crazy creatures hanging out in the uh, in Dryden's ship. There's that little the little gremlin guy. The little gremlin guy. Uh, there's that like elf fish lady standing around. There's a lot of people just wearing like gold face masks. They're waiting to get into the the party from Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, or the or uh, the Clytus from Flash Gordon is hanging out there. <laughs> The first time we see Dryden in his office, when he's killing the uh, Imperial governor or whatever, we get our uh, our first of the Rogue One refugees, the de- the decraniated lady, the half faced lady from who's in the visual dictionary for uh, Rogue One is there serving drinks. And we never had to see them in Rogue One, but there she was. Finally, the half head people. I did enjoy that scene with them. Uh, Figuring out the new deal with Dryden because I do like I liked Han best when he really didn't know what he was doing, and that was a him Hannah half half knowing what he was doing, coming up with the plan. <laughs> there's there's a lot where I really like Beckett saying "Keep your eyes down." Oh yeah, and he literally is walking around with his eyes down, but still trying to walk around. And yeah, and I love uh, when they're like, "Who's going to be the pilot?" and he just points at his face. Yeah, dumb goofy Han, I think, is my favorite Han. Maybe that's why we love Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I think it might be. And I think, I, yeah, that is an interesting thing to bring up because it is like, okay, we're going to make movies about Han Solo. And it's like, well, is it, are you the fan of like cool Han Solo? Or are you the fan of like Return of the Jedi goofy Han Solo? <laughs> they're, both, they're both valid Han Solos. <laughs> Making silly faces and slipping on banana peels. Because he was in love, Jason. That's what happens. You get goofy. Start kissing people. (laughs) So I've been told. (laughs) Yeah, so then they they come up with this new plan with Dryden Voss where they're going to go to Kessel, steal the Coaxium from the Pikes at the Spice Mines of Kessel. And to do that, they need a super fast ship because the Coaxium, if it gets like too hot or something it'll explode so they need this fast ship so they like let's go find lando calrissian this transition was one of the things where this movie kind of was very un-star wars in a way because it was like i mean i guess it's maybe not less star wars it's more extremely star wars where it's definitely faster and more intense because there isn't even any sort of transition like literally they're on dryden's ship and then it cuts to them already where Lando is without having, you know, 
a shot of a spaceship and the music swelling up or a wipe or something like uh, it's a very different feel than a, kind of a normal Star Wars movie when they kind of go from planet to planet. Because even in Solo early on, like when they go from Mimbin to uh, Vandor, you know, at least kind of you get your establishing shot of the planet and a ship flying towards it kind of thing. But in this instance, they just they cut right to it. That's true. Mm-hmm. It didn't it didn't bug me at all. Yeah, I don't know if it's good or bad. It's just it's very different than what what we're used to. They go inside. And there's so we see right away some droid fighting, some extreme droid fighting, up close and personal droid fighting. If we cut right to Lando having a card game, Han joins right in. I don't know. I thought this whole first card game was really great too. Yeah, it was good. It's what's weird though. I think is I really liked the. I knew it was going to be different than the scene in the movie, but like the 360 view one. I like I really liked that version too. So it was kind of interesting to see the same scene in the movie in a different way and knowing like from the 360 degree version like where everyone was sitting kind of seeing it in a more cinematic way. You know, it was interesting. I don't think I've ever experienced that with a movie before of like seeing a scene like I'm sitting on the table one way and then seeing it again in the movie. I don't know. Therm scissor punch was great. The alien guy Chewing up the cards. Yeah, with the, with the saw blade face, yeah. Bootleg Zuvio shuffling the cards. I do like the uh, Lando intentionally mispronouncing Han from now on because Han intentionally mispronounced Sabacc. For me, it was like Donald Glover, very much like Alden Ehrenreich's Han. They're not doing imitations, but there's just, uh, for me at least, uh, it's like for both actors, I was like, there's just something about what they're doing where they're just nailing the characters in some really subtle way. Yeah, that was the nice thing is I never felt like I got taken out of the movie and I felt like I wasn't watching the characters, even though they were obviously different people. But it felt like the same characters. I think he goes for Chewbacca, too. Like, it's not Peter Mayhew, but Eunice, like, I never felt like it wasn't Chewbacca, which is great now if we get more movies with this crew. So then shortly after that, too, we get our first introduction to L337. I really started to, like, like get into the movie. It's like Lando shows up, L337 shows up. I'm like, okay, we're into the we're into the good stuff now. (laughs) Clint Howard shows up. Yeah, Clint Howard shows up. The movie kind of, not that the movie beginning, there was anything wrong at the beginning, but I guess maybe this is the part where people were like, oh, it really kind of picks up. I love Clint Howard. That droid's never had it so good. <laughs> oh, maybe all of this uh, turmoil with the solo movie, maybe it was all worth it just, yeah, to have Clint Howard talking about droids with his crazy hair. L337 demanding that everyone looks away. Well, the saw blade comes out of her stomach. Yeah. L337 was so good. That's it's hard. It was hard on me when she goes away <laughs> so soon because, yeah, she was awesome. It was like, hey, it's like K2SO, but actually funnier. Yeah, I don't know. I really liked L337 a lot. I could not believe L337's scene in the cockpit of the Falcon with Kira. Oh, yeah. Just talking about <laughs> Lando's in love with her. That whole, yeah, that whole bit was great. Physically, they could be compatible. It would work. It's like, man, wow. I think that's that's what I, I have to come to terms with with this movie is like there's so much in the movie that I love and then it takes it away from me. And I think maybe it, that's where I just it makes me makes me angry. I don't know. 
I was dreaming of movies, multiple movies, years of L337 adventures, and they were taken from me. Solo isn't like a true standalone movie because these are characters that we see later in Star Wars films. But some of these minor characters or or some of some of the second level characters like L337 or Rio Durant, you know, they are just kind of in this little story. And it's not like Rogue One where the actions of Chirrut and Baze and Bodhi Rook and Cassian and Jin like affect what happens in a new hope. When I think that as these Star Wars stories go on, I hopefully they do go on. I think this kind of thing where we're just we're meeting these random characters that just kind of come and go. I know that kind of thing could happen more. Maybe it's just because with Rogue One, it was like you kind of felt like everyone was going to die, but you kind of got a whole movie to kind of get to know everybody before they all died. And with Solo, it kept happening over and over again. Um, but maybe that was the point, that you just you never knew what was going to happen. A little bit after that, we, when we get back on the Falcon, there's the great scene with Han and Kira in Lando's closet. And what was the article in Variety last week where the the whole motion of Han taking the hanger with the cape on it and kind of pushing it away, that came straight from the big George Lucas, that old smoothie. I got to say, I think that was one of the most like Han moments in the movie was her giving him the cape and him just pushing it against the wall and dropping it on the floor. Like, if the original version was him hanging it up, like, I don't know, that felt super Han. Just like, whatever, I'll just, just yeah, I'm going to hang it up, whatever, and he just drops it against the wall. He's, Lucas has still got it. <laughs> still got it, folks. <laughs> I know what people talk about when they're in love. I got more experience now with Melody. <laughs> I, and I never hang anything up anyway. <laughs> I just buy new shirts. A new one delivered to me every morning. Uh, every day he orders more clothes on Amazon Prime, and two days later they show up, and he just puts them on. So every every morning he's got a new outfit. It shows up in the mail. Is this strange ritual at the end of every day? He burns the plaid shirt that he wore that day. <laughs> yeah. so, well, he, he stands there looking at it on a pile of wood while fireworks go off overhead. So then they land on Kessel. We get a live action pike. It's crazy. It's like dripping apple juice out of its face. It's got those uh, those like little foil apple applesauce packets that you give your kids. He's just got a f- helmet full of those and just squirting stuff out of the bottom. I, I still can't believe we got a live action pike. It's a dream come true. Although in the Clone Wars, the pikes spoke English. But maybe they just didn't. Maybe they were doing that because they were like with gangster people. And well, and everyone kind of spoke English more so in Clone Wars than they. I mean, Bosk spoke English. That's true. But I guess yeah, they more of the. I mean, this movie is the closest thing to live action Clone Wars or Rebels. Like the transition is happening before our eyes. With we have the Pikes and Crimson Dawn, more stuff coming up. And I wondered. With this movie, with it being in development so long, if some of the ideas of this movie were tying it into what the live action TV show was going to be. I was thinking the same thing because wasn't, I mean, the Pikes we knew were developed for the live action TV show, but then got moved into into Clone Wars. 
and the live action show was all about the criminal underworld and probably had Crimson Dawn and the Black Sun and all that stuff in it. I mean, was Maul and all the stuff with him like taking over the crime world and all the hut syndicate and all that stuff? Were all those ideas that were going to be in the TV show? And then when that didn't happen, those just got put into Clone Wars? Mm, maybe. And I, after this made me wonder, too, if, I mean, if they're basically, if Solo kind of becomes the criminal underworld universe of Star Wars for the movies, are they going to take a lot of the ideas from the those scripts they had for the TV show and kind of turn those into bounty hunter, Solo, smuggler kind of movies it's funny that the boba fett rumors that was it james mangold is gonna direct the the boba fett movie that like dropped that night because then after seeing solo you're just like man yeah boba fett's story is like right on the edges of the story for solo yeah because it would be interesting now after seeing uh infinity war how kind of the gimmick of infinity war was that Thanos is the hero and it's kind of if you watch the movie it's actually like your traditional hero story but Thanos is the hero instead of the Avengers if they do something similar with Boba Fett in a way that Han and Lando could kind of show up as the antagonist to Boba Fett even though the story is about Boba Fett kind of thing to kind of keep mixing everybody together and I guess no one's really a good guy in in this side of the universe either so makes sense. Yeah, and especially even more so in some of the stuff that happens later in the movie that we'll be getting to. There's more cool stuff on Kessel. There's like those cloud car looking pilot guys. Yeah, everything on Kessel visually I thought was super Star Wars. Like this little, the dirty screens, all the droids, all the guards. It was like that was the, the most Star Wars party of the Star Wars party part of the movie. Because pretty much any creature they had laying around, they just threw them in there as miners. Did you notice the Moroff alien in there? No. Yeah. There's a Moroff guy running around who's luckily is uh, whose name is Senna, by the way, because he's in the uh, official guide, the visual dictionary thing. But yeah, if you look closely, it's kind of like a yellow version of Moroff running around in there. Oh, my God. So and a couple more of the big droids. So like, yeah, it's like. They just emptied out the archives and threw them all in the mines. I love the all droid run control room with some of the goofiest, wackiest droids. It reminded me of like the the droid spa in the Great Heap. And I was thinking too when like C three PO and R two D two and a New Hope are like, "We'll be sent to this sent to the spice mines of Kessel." It's like is like working in like the Kessel control room. Is that like punishment for bad droids? I, I guess so. Like, is that where C-3PO and R2 would have ended up? I guess so. Yeah, I didn't think about that, right? They wouldn't actually be mining. They would just have to work in the control room. So I've always thought about that. Like, how in the world is C-3PO going to do any mining? I don't think he can't even hold like a tool in his hand. I'm still confused on how he holds like that. The communicator in the Death Star It really doesn't make sense. He holds it very carefully. (laughs) But that's a good point. Also, too, I think the whole Kessel scene, if anything, is the closest we'll ever get to live action droids cartoon. Like everything about it, the control room and even the mines themselves, like kind of they just looked like something right out of the great heap when they're just running around in all the mud, mud pits and stuff. I wouldn't have been surprised if like they passed by Mungo Baobab in a jail cell. He's probably in there. Three PO, save me. I have to get to the archives. 
but there's a whole lot of great stuff going on. It's surprise, surprise, Beckett in disguise. Kira does some. What's the official pronunciation of it now? Terrace right? Terrace Yeah, I've been saying Terrace for the last 25 years. People are probably laughing at me everywhere I go. Yeah. All the all the real hardcore Terrace players are like, oh, he doesn't even know how to say it. <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't gotten a review on iTunes. Great show, but you're mispronouncing it. You probably only played as Jodo Cast. <laughs> Would you only play as whore? I bet you did. <laughs> More on that next week. Yeah, the droid revolution is amazing. Chewie's running out and he finds a bunch of other crazy Wookiees. We get a good look at Sagwa. Mm-hmm. Sagwa. I swear watching the movie that he didn't have fur on his face, but he does in the book. It's just like a different color fur. Oh, Sagwa. Yeah, poor Sagwa. He's got it rough. He's still going, though. He's not stopping. He saw Chewie and it gave him hope. Wookie hope. I love when it's just total chaos and they, they're making their way back to the Falcon. And Sagwa and Chewie have that moment together where Sagwa is like... Come with us, Wookiee. And Chewie's like, no, I'm staying with these Jokers. They have like a mutual Wookiee, which we thought was going to be like Mala or something. But I'm totally cool with it being Sagwa. Sagwa's worthy of Chewie's hugs. Well, and especially because when Chewie talked about trying to find his tribe or family, I think uh, they're smart enough not to. There's too much crammed in this movie as is. If they would have had a Chewie family reunion, it would have been too much. Which I almost shed a tear thinking about that moment because I was just like, you know, they're not saying the holiday special did not happen. And it's kind of awesome like that if, you know, all the Wookiees got taken off Kashyyyk from the Empire and then they're slowly like in this movie kind of making their way back. And if the holiday special really did happen and for Life Day, Han is like, no. I'm going to make an extra special point to get you home to your family, Chewie, because I know how important that is. That's true. I didn't. I never thought about the fact that they could, instead of changing what happens in the holiday special by making it part of the movie, they can just make the movies lead up to the holiday special. So the holiday special is still, it's still canon. It still happened. It's almost like more emotionally resonant now. <laughs> like watching the original trilogy after the prequels where you have like all that backstory so now when you watch the holiday special you're like oh man chewie worked so hard to get here they can finally make a holiday special special edition where you see sagwa going home to his family on life day sagwa's putting on the red robe sagwa sings in another verse of the song when uh leia's done we Not a dry eye in the house. Yeah. So sadly, L three three seven dies. There's a very, very emotional death scene. Lando and L three. You can't just have fun. Someone's got to get brutally murdered. I don't know. I again, I was just riding this whole wave of Lando and L 3s relationship, and when Lando like rubs his hand or his thumb over L 3s little like little voice plate thing, I was just like, man. 
<laughs> this movie's getting wild. Yeah. We didn't have any of this in Last Jedi. Yeah. I was like, this is some Lucas level crazy. I don't know. Lucas doesn't kill people, Jason. You don't have to kill people to have a good time. <laughs> you know what? Now that I'm thinking about this, that's totally uh, Larry Kasdan just messing with Lucas. Because they had that huge argument about killing people in Return of the Jedi, remember? And what did what did Lucas say to him? Like, you're, you're t- uh, something about the 80s or when he was born or whatever. You're all about everybody's got to kill somebody. You can't have a story without people dying. <laughs> Again, it was Kasdan leaning forward in the seat the premiere. What do you think about that, George? They're all going to die, George. <laughs> Trying to make some action figures for these. I'm still mad about it, George. It was hard. I really liked L337. I didn't get enough. Still getting over it. They plug L337 into the Falcon. We pretty much learn then that L337 is the voice of the Millennium Falcon's computer, which then when C-3PO says, you know, I don't know where your ship's computer learned to talk, but it has the most peculiar dialect. And aside from that, the first thing I was thinking when we get the confirmation that L3 is part of the Falcon Forever, adventures in colors and shapes. Yeah. We're a member in adventures in colors and shapes. We hear the voice of the nav computer for the first time. I'm going off memory, but I want to say it sounds like L337. This is the Star Wars story of colors and shapes. You can read along with me in your book. You will notice time to turn the page when you hear R2-D2 beep like this. Let's begin now. When they arrived in front of the central computer's camera eye, C-3PO held up a square plate. Excuse me, central computer, but could you tell me if this plate is red? The computer screen blinked to life. No, that plate is green. Green is the color of grass, and of leaves on the trees, and of Greedo. Maybe Lawrence Kasdan secretly wrote Adventures in Colors and Shapes, and has been waiting to uh, make all this official all these years. Back in 84, they already confirmed it, that the voice of the Falcon Central Computer was L337 in 1984. It was there in Adventures in Colors and Shapes, and now it's confirmed. That's crazy. but literally yeah so i'm sitting in the theater last night and i'm like looking around at other people in the theater to see if anyone else is like adventures in colors and shapes when you're you're walking out you're in the bathroom the guy next to you man it was just like adventures in colors and shapes all over again (laughs) i'm like i know i was waiting for zilnor to come out (laughs) excuse me again central computer perhaps this plate is red no, that plate is white, like paper, or this hoojim, or a wampa ice creature on Hoth. So they're going through the Kessel Run, there's the big tentacle monster, there's the maw, there's the black hole. That was all awesome. This is one moment during all of that, though, that the score really starts. The, the score is kind of like, aside from John Williams' Han theme, which I really love, You have a hard time kind of noticing the score a lot while you're watching the movie. At least I have in my three viewings so far. I I did too. And that was, maybe that was another of the things that didn't, that just made me feel off about this movie so far is that I felt like the music was mixed really kind of underneath anything. It was like more like a traditional contemporary action movie where like the Marvel movies, even where they kind of 
the scores there, but it doesn't like jump out at you like normal Star Wars movie would, where it's like, hey, here's a moment for John Williams music to just be the main thing. I don't know, because today listening to the soundtrack on its own, I was actually really enjoying the music and there was some cool stuff in there, but I didn't catch that watching the movie. And maybe as I watch it more, I'll get it because there's like the music, I think, when um, they first meet up with L337, like it was a really cool track. And I don't remember hearing any of that during the movie. No, I mean, at least for me right now, I would say... The score for me is the weakest link of the whole thing. Giacchino was not Williams, but he was kind of in the Star Wars family already. And this is like the first outside of the family score. A lot of that race through the Kessel Run music, though. I don't know. It it kind of was going through like Star Wars greatest hits. And that was kind of bugging me a little bit. (laughs) It was. All right. I'm glad to hear that because I was kind of feeling the same thing. And I think part of. What was bugging me about it is we kind of just got that in Last Jedi a little bit, but we got like it from John Williams where it's it works a little more like it was like getting tie attack again kind of wasn't as cool because it was like the cover band doing tie attack when we just heard John Williams come out and rip up tie attack in, in Last Jedi. So I think maybe if we hadn't have just if we hadn't have got that in Last Jedi just <laughs> four months ago or however long it was, maybe it would have been a little less jarring. It's not. I don't think the score was bad. It wasn't, but it just. Um, I really enjoy Solo a lot, and at least for me, it was the the score was the one thing where I was kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I need to rush out and buy the CD for that one. Well, it's also, I think, like I was saying before, ties into this whole, this was like a live action Rebels. The Rebels music a lot of times kind of got into that pattern of it's cool because it's Star Wars music, but it's not new Star Wars music necessarily. They're just going to throw some of the greatest hits in to kind of kick it up a little bit, which is cool because it's cool music, but it's a little not what you would expect from, I don't know, you're not getting anything new. But... Like I said in the beginning, John Williams Han theme, I really do like that because it's like this like old fashioned swashbuckler, happy go lucky kind of music. And I was just like, oh, I really dig that. And I feel like a lot of what John Powell was doing was just kind of riffing on what Williams wrote for Han's theme. Like he he spreads that out through the entire movie. Yeah, there is a little bit of that. Well, and I think comparing it to Rogue One, I know maybe I'm weird, but I just I really like the Rogue One soundtrack and I find myself listening to that a lot still. So, yeah, I think every track on the Rogue One soundtrack is a solid gold hit. So anyway, they land on the planet and they got to stabilize the fuel. And out comes Enfys Nest again, which again, talking about the score, Enfys Nest theme is really great. That's exactly how it sounds. So here, here's a question for you, and not that it's a Star Wars movie, we don't have to overthink things, but what does the Cloud Riders gang spaceship look like? Because I can't fly swoop bikes in space. Because somewhere they have a spaceship. I want to see it. 
Because <laughs> there was, I think, the first time I was like a little confused for a second because like, wait, I thought they were on a new planet. How did they get there on their swoop bikes? But they were on a different planet. Yeah, I bet they've got just like some kind of like really light cruiser somewhere they can park all their swoop bikes in. Maybe it looks like an eagle or something cool with feathers. <laughs> That's a good question. I didn't think about that. I also really do like the idea of their mass would let them fly their swoop bikes through space. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. Let's see let's see that in a movie. Because then we're getting into like that's some Marvel, some like old seventies Marvel comic stuff. Just like who cares? Bubble helmets and they're flying through space on swoop bikes. Maybe they have hyperspace rings in space that they put their swoop bikes in. Enfys Nest hair blowing in the wind going through hyperspace. So Enfys Nest takes off her mask. She re- reveals that keeping the dream alive that her mother, I think they, they you kind of assume was like the original Enfys Nest. And they're not so much. Uh, well, there's still, I, you know, I was into all of this because it was like, it made me think of Rebels too, and like how in the first season of Rebels, they were like essentially pirates who got k- kind of drafted into this thing of the rebellion. Yeah, and that the rebellion really is just a loose association of kind of pirates and troublemakers, or like Robin Hood people that they're crooks with hearts of gold that still try to help people a little bit and fight back. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was neat. I was really, really, really like it gave me goosebumps this morning on viewing number three, thinking about two tubes being part of Enfys Nest's crew. Cause I was like, man, two tubes is so tough and such a good dude that he's just like, man, he used to ride with Enfys Nest cause they were like crooks with hearts of gold. And then later he's part of Saw's gang cause they're still fighting the good fight. But two tubes is just too tough to like really join the rebellion. Yeah, you can't you can't tame two tubes. When two tubes like took the mask off and it was like really two tubes, I just about screamed in the theater. And two tubes wearing like shark teeth necklace that he got at the surf shop. Like I like to think he didn't have that necklace until they landed on that planet. And the first thing he was like, dude, I can go to the surf shop and get a shark tooth necklace. <laughs> He's like, you know, this planet looks really cool. I bet you they got shark teeth necklaces here somewhere. Yeah, it's on an ocean. They got to have it. <laughs> I'm also really in to the Rodian, which finally we get a classic alien. And the Rodian is like a tough kicking people Rodian. Yeah. With, wasn't he a little bit yellow, too? Uh, that might have just been my eyes slowly disintegrating. The thing with that, it bums me out a little bit. And we've talked about this before with the other movies is they try so hard now to not spoil things for people that it takes some of the fun out of the books. Because like in the visual dictionary book, they have the Cloud Riders gang, but they only have pictures of them before they take their helmets off, which, you know, it makes sense because you don't want people to know before the movie comes out. But like in five years when I just want to, lay down and look through the solo book and I won't remember who's who. Cause I can't save their helmets. <laughs> I don't know. It's almost like I wish they could, you could send them a letter and they'd mail you a sticker that you could stick on that page, like to update the picture with them with their helmet off or something. Cause other than tubes and weasel, it's kind of hard to tell who anyone is, but man, just having weasel back was pretty amazing too. More of the Phantom Menace tie-ins. After he gave up betting on pod races and hanging out with Watto, he was just like, well, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to go hang out with Enfys Nest. And just to think that there's a character in this movie who has probably had lunch with Watto. 
They should have kept going. People keep taking masks off and one of them, hey, look at me. Oh, it's me. I'm back. If they keep doing these movies, maybe there'll be a Cloud Riders movie. I'd watch a Cloud Riders movie. And maybe they got to go to, everyone goes, everyone's going to be back in Tatooine in the next one, right? The Cloud Riders show up. They need supplies. They got to go check in with Watto. He's got all the good stuff. Let me join your gang, huh? I'm a little old, but I can still fly. Uh, I don't need a bike. I can just fly with you guys. Give me some cool feathers to put on me and stuff. Klieg Lars joins the group. He's probably got a robot leg by now. (laughs) It's like one of the cloud riders gets hurt. And they're like, Klieg, Klieg, go help that person. I would, but my legs, I can't. Yeah, when when my legs heal, maybe I'll go over there and help that cloud rider. But now I got, you know, not much I can do, guys. (laughs) That, that, That person's dead, son. Just get over it. So they give. So they decide they're gonna take the fuel cells to Dryden Voss. They're gonna end this whole thing, or so they think. Turns out they're double cross by Beckett. It was a triple cross, quadruple cross, quadruple cross. Yeah, kind of like came with the Crystal Skull. <laughs> I was waiting for waiting for Mac to show up, just like in Berlin. Yeah, I think Chewie said just like Berlin, but we couldn't understand. <laughs> Subtitle: Just like in Berlin, he winks. <laughs> There's a big cool fight in um, in Voss's cool office. Did you uh, Voss's crawl his glaive brass knuckles glaive? Yeah, like the sound of it, like it almost sounded like a. Uh, like the black saber. It had like almost like a lightsaber or a vectro staff. Ethan, my son, was asking me if it was the same thing that the, uh, I think the Praetorian guards had in Last Jedi. And I was like, eh, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, probably was. I'd be like, that's, that's why you're my son. Yeah. <laughs> Notice the finer things. <laughs> the details. Kira kills Voss. With her uh, Tereskasi moves. She could, she could fight a Gamorrean guard. No problem whatsoever. Han goes off after Beckett, and Kira makes a phone call. The phone call to end all phone calls. The mall call. <laughs> Never in a million years did I think that in the Han Solo movie of all movies, someone was going to call Maul, Darth Maul, not Darth Maul, just Maul, you're right, just Maul, Maul call, on the phone, Maul, hey Maul, what you doing? <laughs> Hashtag Maul call. 1-800-342-MAUL. When I wasn't watching Clone Wars, and I had heard that Darth Maul was back and he had robot legs, and I was ignorant, and I didn't know any better, and I probably said out loud at some time, well, that sounds stupid. (laughs) I never would have imagined, like you said, that in 2018, Ray Park would be back on the big screen as Darth Maul with robot legs. Yeah, in a sweet gold necklace, matching Kira necklace. They're keeping it real. If you haven't been watching season five of Clone Wars, too bad. That's your problem, not their problem. <laughs> it is it, it is potentially the most, it's kind of like the most hardcore thing ever in a, in a movie for normal people, really. Because so much so that there were tons of articles. Did you notice like the next day, like, if you're a normal adult, this is what happened <laughs> in Solo. <laughs> well, 
That's why so you don't have to be confused. We spent all night last night watching the second half of season five of Clone Wars. We're going to tell you all about Savage Opress people. So sit down, get comfortable. Well, and just the fact that they've full on went animated with uh, having Sam Whitmore do the voice now, too. Like they aren't even trying to do the old mall voice. It's the new mall voice. And Duel of the Fates is faintly playing in the background. Which that's not on the soundtrack either. I really think that they didn't put that on there just in case it leaked out because then it would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But do you think if you listen to the soundtrack, not that you would ahead of time and you heard Duel of Fates, the first thing you're going to be like, I bet you Darth, I bet you she calls Darth Maul on the phone. Like no one, no one would have guessed that. I would have a lot of questions though. Like maybe someone would have thought, oh, does someone, does Kira have a double lightsaber? I don't know. I don't think... I don't know. I don't think I would have ever guessed that. My The best part of the mall reveal was there was a kid, I don't know, like 12 years old in the row in front of me who literally his head almost exploded and he almost had a heart attack and vomited when when mall showed up. When you first see the side of him, he like started like touching his head. And then when you saw Maul's face, he like started pulling his hair like really hard and, and almost like making noises. <laughs> so it made his year. Well, it's like we were saying, too, if, they, if they're if they going to make a Boba Fett movie, if Jabba's going to be in it, if the, the Hut Syndicate could possibly be in a, in a movie, well, they're setting something up really interesting. Like we were saying, like this whole underworld world of Star Wars stories now where you've got Darth Maul as a crime lord, the head of Crimson Dawn. What is all like, what, like this could get really crazy. But it makes sense because otherwise it's like you don't want to have Boba Fett fighting Darth Vader. Or who Who's Boba Fett going to have any sort of conflict with other than if it's like, I mean, I guess you could have a Boba Fett on a mission on a mission or something. But, you know, having some kind of or even if it's not with Boba, just for Han and them to have someone to kind of go against that isn't the Empire. Like you can potentially, you know, at least because this movie really didn't have the empire at all. Right. So they can kind of keep that going and still have somebody cool. And I don't know. So the next time we see Maul, he's on Malachor being all weird and skinny talking riddles with Ezra Bridger. So something crazy happens from when he's the head of Crimson Dawn to where he's like hanging out in his like Obi-Wan hate cave. And what's, Completely almost absurd at this point is we've gone from having like an animated series that kind of explains what happens between like episode two and three or with Rebels kind of explaining what happens between episode three and four to having a live action series that explains what happens between Clone Wars and Rebels. Like (laughs) we've totally flipped and we're in like backwards universe where you have to have live action movies to explain what happens between cartoons. You know, we're thinking about Star Wars 24 seven. And last night when I'm watching the movie, I was just like, wait a minute, hold up. I got to go over the timeline of what's happening in my head. <laughs> like, like, wait a minute. Okay. Where, what's going on here? Okay. All right. <laughs> How long is it before rebels starts? Okay. So Han and Beckett are on the beach and Beckett's talking, blah, blah, blah. And Han shoots him square in the chest. You know, something I started thinking about during this part, though, and I've never thought about that before. 
it's like, okay, Beckett gave Han his classic blaster, right? But in Empire, Han pulls out his blaster, fires it at Vader. Vader uses take the force, put it in his hand. And then Han gets frozen in carbonite. So where does Han's blaster in Return of the Jedi come from? Uh, it was on Infus Nest's ship. <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. Well, that's a, you know, what to put that aside for a good thing. Uh, Return of the Jedi month is coming up. We can spend some time digging into the mysteries of Hans Blaster. I'm going to write that question and attach it to the feet of a pigeon and say, go, go find Pablo. Fly away. Fly to San Francisco, pigeon. The, the original the pigeons are the original Twitter. Enfisness asks Han if uh, he wants to join the rebellion. And I, I think this is my favorite Alden Ehrenreich moment where he just kind of makes a bunch of faces. It's very, it's very Han to just make faces. But that, again, too, I, I really like that part earlier between Kira and Han where she's like, finishes the, the thing from the trailers, like what you really are, a good guy. And that's when Han's is like, I'm not a good guy. And he's like, I'm an outlaw. And like his voice cracks. I don't know. I was just like, this, this is great. Yeah. Goofy Han's the best. So then Han and Chewie go to find Lando. And did they find Lando? Is that Felucia? No, I don't think it's Felucia, but I'm really curious now because someone online is saying that they used the footage from the Rogue One teaser from Celebration when they were flying over the jungle. And I don't know if... If they were just faking it or or not, because the the comparison looked pretty pretty close. But it's just I don't know some jungle planet. Yeah, I was getting really excited thinking it was uh, Felucia for a hot second, because like Lando mentions Felucia earlier in the movie, and I'm like, oh, you know, because Felucia had big, cry, giant, crazy plants, and I thought at the end it was more or less like trees and stuff. I was hoping Ayla Secura's vo- ghost would come out or something. <laughs> Han wins the Falcon. Him and Chewie fly off to Tatooine, where Beckett was telling them this big shot gangster putting together a crew. But I like the, I do like the joke that Beckett says a big shot gangster and Han just says it's a big gangster. The biggest gangster. Because we know who it is. I did like, it's a little thing, but I did like the fact that they had Han win without cheating. Because when he stole the, the card from Lando, I was like, oh, he's just going to use Lando's trick against him, but... He is the good guy, and he wins it. He wins it fair and square. And Lando probably won it by cheating. So, which then at that moment too, I was I was thinking, tear running down my cheek, thinking about Lando flying the Falcon again in Jedi with nine numb. And I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. But the whole time he's probably like, why does it smell so bad in here? <laughs> it used to probably <laughs> smell like fresh vanilla beans or something, and now it you know it smells like. F- McDonald's farts. <laughs> It'd be great if Lando finally shows up in episode nine. Hey, everybody. And he goes on the Falcon and there's like pork babies flying around. <laughs> Lando, I'm getting out of here, baby. Oh, dear. That's the thing, too. I was thinking like I was thinking way too much. And I was like, man, look at Chewie. Chewie's life is just starting. And one day he's going to be best friends with Ray. You're going to have all kinds of great friends, Chewie. Chewie. 
So when do you think you're going to see it again? Hopefully uh, this weekend. My son wanted to see it again. And I was going to see it again anyway. But it's funny because like talking about it and whenever I think about it, like I like everything I'm remembering. I think it's it's going to grow on me, I'm sure. New Star Wars movies are a weird thing. It is. It is a weird thing. It's, you know, I think we've said it before. It's someone new moving into the house. It's like a new baby. I love you because you're my family, but I'm not sure what I think of you yet. You may kill me with a lightsaber through the chest one day. So I don't know if I can trust you. I haven't slept since you were born. I'm just so tired. I don't know what I think. (laughs) It's been six months. There's a new Star Wars movie in theaters. I never imagined this day would come. It's come. But now we uh, what we get, we have a nine month break here. We could have a real baby before episode nine comes out. Yeah, we begin the long wait to episode nine. But it might be good. It might be good to get a little a little breather. I think it will. I'm looking forward to it. But also I breathers don't exist with Lucasfilm nowadays. <laughs> From Kenner's Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection, it's Millennium Falcon that you put together. Batteries not included. Nice landing, Han Solo. Uh Uh-oh, come on, Chewbacca. Stormtroopers are coming. Action figures each sold separately. Got them on radar. I'll fire the laser cannon. There's even a hidden storage hatch. Ready for takeoff. Jump to light speed. We're gone. On to the Death Star. Millennium Falcon from Kenner's Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. Action figures each sold separately. This is Jerome St. John Blake. Um, I played Masamida, Rune Harko, Oberansisis, and a few other guys in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And I'm standing here with Gabe from Blast Points Podcast and uh, looking forward to my debut appearance on his show. Watch this space. And may the force be with you. And these blast points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. So iTunes reviews, we actually have a bunch, but this episode, so jam-packed with stuff, we're not going to have time to get to iTunes reviews this week. We will in coming weeks, though, so you should write yours, head over to iTunes, write something, and we will include yours in an episode coming up very soon. And check out BlastPointsPodcast.com for old episodes, recipes, comics, theme music, order t-shirts, all kinds of stuff and check us out on facebook instagram twitter and with facebook don't forget we have the blast points super fun star wars chat group thing you can uh join up and talk to cool star wars fans about cool star wars stuff and don't forget in just a matter of weeks 
We are going to be live in Seattle, Washington at the Ace Comic Con. We're doing two panels. Two. We're going to do one, like an audio video experience of the best of the weird of Star Wars. And a live Rusty Miller trivia extravaganza. It's going to be amazing. Head to aceuniverse.com. You can get tickets for the Seattle show. You can read uh, panel descriptions, check out some of the cool guests that are going to be there. Aside from us, I mean, like Thor is going to be there and stuff, but that's not as fun as Blast Points, I don't think. Or Spider-Man, whatever. No, who cares? (laughs) Blast Points. (laughs) But that about wraps up episode number 125 here. Our big solo spectacular We'll be back next week with more fun, more solo, more craziness. Yep. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. life he only cared about one thing himself but now the best hot shot pilot in the galaxy was playing babysitter to an old man a green kid two robots and a princess han solo really had his hands full han solo is back star wars is back star wars rated pg parental guidance suggested may the force be with all